I think Paul gives us a, a great insight into his heart and his attitude uh, as a believer in Jesus. And so I want to look at uh, Philippians chapter 1, uh, just verses 12, 13, and 14, just three verses this morning. But hear the word of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, I think it's easy at times just to uh, go through the the Christian motions. It's easy to uh, be involved on some level. But Father, it's quite a different thing to have my, my heart and my mind and my soul transformed by the power of the gospel to the extent that my life is so intertwined with the life of Jesus And his character is is so enveloped my character that my identity is found in him. Father, I know that seems strange to the world. I know they when they when they see that, they they look at it and say, Isn't that odd? But yet, Father, there's there's a power within that transformed life that actually draws the world to itself. Lord Jesus, that's our heart's desire, Green Tree. We want the world to know Jesus Christ. We want the world to know his saving power, his amazing grace that we have have sung of this morning. Lord, we don't always live it. We don't always get it right. We make mistakes. Uh, We blow it so often. But that transformational work has begun in us, Father, and we pray that you would continue. And we pray this morning that that as we look at this word, Father, I I look at this word and I acknowledge that I I haven't lived in this way this week, that I have fallen short. Father, I confess my sin to you and ask that you would create within me a new heart, just as much or more than anybody else in this room, that I would be identified with Christ. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and that you would teach us. My words are are of no importance. It's only your word that has eternal weight. So we invite you, we plead with you to come and through your word and your spirit, open our hearts and minds to what you want to teach us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if we're going to measure success at Green Tree, um, if we're going to measure the impact that Green Tree Community Church is going to have on, on one another, on our community, the next few years uh, of, of our lives, uh, we have to consider developing a radically different perspective than the rest of the world. As I said, when the world looks at, at, at the church, uh, they see an oddity. Uh, the question I want to ask this morning is, do they have good reason for that? Are, are we showing them the right kind of oddity that points them towards Jesus? Or has, has church life simply become something we do instead of something that transforms uh, our lives through the power of Jesus Christ? Paul obviously um, has something significant to say on this text. And I want to look at these three verses in verses 12, 13, and 14. And what can we glean from, from where Paul was in his circumstances and his situation? And how do we apply that this morning? Well, first of all, it's clear from this text, it's also clear from, from the history of the church, that Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. He's writing to his friends in Philippi, the folks that are Christians in that community. Uh, they've found out that he's in prison, obviously, that the churches have learned that Paul is in prison. 
Uh, Church historians, by and large, agree that this was Paul's last imprisonment. It was somewhere around 60 AD. He was in Rome. Uh, He was awaiting trial. If you go back and you read the latter uh, section of Acts, beginning around chapter 23, 24, uh, where Paul is on trial for his life and he appeals to Caesar. Uh, He says, you can't hand me over to these folks to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Uh, And the judge says, to Caesar you will go. And so the next few chapters are Paul making his way to uh, Rome. And then in chapter 28, uh, we read the context where Paul wrote this letter. He's uh, He's in jail and he's awaiting trial. He's under house arrest, so to speak. He has actually a home in which he's living, and there, there's at least one, if not uh, more than one, guard literally chained to him 24 hours a day. So in that context, Paul, the great missionary, Paul, the great church planter, Paul, the great evangelist, now restricted to house arrest, and everybody in the church is finding out about this. What is going to happen And that's where we pick up this passage. Look at verse 14 with me, or excuse me, verse 12 with me for just a moment. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, here's a guy in prison who's offering to those outside of prison a reassuring outlook. Typically, if if you're going to, to visit a prisoner or care for a prisoner or correspond with a prisoner, you'd want to try and reassure them. Maybe someday you'll get out. You know, you'll be paroled in a certain amount of time. You know, I'm sorry prison is so tough, but hang in there. But that's not the case here. Paul isn't, isn't receiving the encouragement. He's actually offering the encouragement. He's offering these words of reassurance. And Paul's friends are worried. The churches knew Paul was in prison. We already said that. And when the leader of the, of the movement is in prison, you know, you got to think this can't possibly be really good. This isn't great news. I've never heard of a political movement or a religion, religious movement of any kind where the leader has been in prison where everybody went, wow, wasn't that great? <laughs> this is really going to help us now. We're, we're really going to be humming along. When that kind of thing happens, everybody throws up their arms and says, what's next? We could be in really big trouble here. The Philippians were so concerned about Paul, they actually had sent uh, a delegation to him, at least one person, and probably two or three had come along with a guy named Epaphroditus. And you can read about him if you read the book of Philippians. And Epaphroditus is there to, to care for Paul. Now, in, in, under Roman law, under house arrest, you had to provide for your own meals. You had to provide for, for your needs. Uh, the, the state of Rome did not provide those things. They provided you with a jailer. <laughs> they chained a guy to you, and that was what they donated to, to the cause. You had to take care of yourself. The Philippians found out about that, so they sent Epaphroditus. More than likely, they sent him with, a, with, a, with some money, uh, the ability to go out and buy some goods and to get food and clothing and take care of Paul. They're worried about Paul. What's going to happen to him? What's going to happen to the churches? And how does Paul respond? Paul responds, guys, don't worry. Don't, don't misunderstand here. The gospel is advancing and the gospel will continue to advance. In other words, Paul says, I'm not even the topic. Don't be worried about me. Be concerned about what the gospel is doing and know that the gospel is moving forward. Get your focus on the right object. This is not about me. This is not about my comfort. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can only imagine the Philippians getting this letter and reasoning this and going, this is amazing. Here's our brother who has every reason to say, boy, it, it looks dark now. <laughs> it looks bad. I think maybe they finally have me. You know, Pray for me. Hold an all-night vigil. Paul doesn't do any of that. He says, this is about the gospel. Think of the, the reassurance that the church of Jesus Christ would receive from gaining that type of perspective. 
I uh, had the opportunity when I was a young man in ministry to work for a, a man named Dr. George Long, who was the pastor at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church. But Dr. Long, uh, many, many years before he was a pastor at Lookout Pres, was a World War II fighter pilot. And he flew in the European theater. He flew, he flew a fighter plane that escorted the bombers uh, uh, over across the English Channel to, on their bombing runs and back. And he was in lots of dogfights and had amazing stories to tell about being a fighter pilot in World War II. But Dr. Long, with another buddy of his on Lookout Mountain, had purchased a small airplane because they wanted to continue flying after the war. And every few years, they, they'd trade the old one in and get a new one. And by the time I came along, they had this little four-seat Cessna plane that Dr. Long would fly and his buddy would fly. And Dr. Long had a son who was teaching at Covenant Seminary at the time. Harry Long was, excuse me, Phil Long was teaching Hebrew at Covenant Seminary. And so Dr. Long would occasionally fly from Lookout Mountain up to St. Louis, and he knew that I was from St. Louis. He said, Tom, do you want to come along? Well, I'd never flown in a small plane before, and that was kind of new to me. But I thought, well, you know, why not? I, you know, I've heard of what a great pilot he is. So I hop in the plane with him on more than one occasion, on several occasions, and we would fly uh, up to St. Louis. Now, I can tell you, if you, how many people have ever flown a small plane? Okay, you know what this is like. If you've flown a small plane before, you feel every bump and every bounce. You know, if you're one of those big jetliners, you know, you can drop 150 feet pretty quick and not even necessarily know that it happened to you. Not in a small plane. And Dr. Long was also kind of, still kind of, even though he's in his early 60s, he still kind of had some of that little boy in him. So we'd take off and we'd be flying to St. Louis and he'd say, hey, Tom, you want to know what it feels like when the plane stalls? And before I had the chance to say, absolutely not, I have no interest in knowing that, he would just take it up and he'd let it fall and we'd just go like this and my stomach's up in my throat and I'm, you know, my knuckles are turning white and I'm looking for the, you know, the little bag that you need to, to take care of that deal. And I, th- I mean, I'm scared out of my mind. And I look over at him and he's just going, <laughs> and he's just having the time of his life. You know what I figured out? I figured out real quickly, I need to get his perspective, not mine. (laughs) And if he's having a good time and he's humming along and he's happy, then I'm going to be okay. We flew into Chattanooga one time. I am not kidding you. If you put your hand outside the window of that plane, you wouldn't have been able to see your hand. It was so foggy. And Dr. Long, the runway, where where is it? You know, he said, it's going to be right out here in just a few minutes, Tom, don't you worry. We could not see a thing. And I'm thinking, okay, my insurance policy up to date, you know, I'm just, I'm getting all my things ready to plan my funeral. And sure enough, we come right, and I literally, you didn't see it until you're right there. We came right over and sat down right on that runway. And I looked over at Dr. Long and he's just humming and just having a good time. His perspective was a perspective I needed. Here's Paul in prison. Here's Paul on trial for his life. And he he writes to his friends. He goes, what are you guys worried about? The gospel is advancing and it will advance. We're not going to lose this fight. God is going to be victorious. Friends of Green Tree Community Church is going to have an impact on the world. We must have that perspective. We must understand that regardless of circumstances, we'll come to circumstances in a second, that God's kingdom is moving forward. And we want to be part of that. We long to join in that process because we see our lives being changed and we want other lives to be changed. A reassuring outlook. Not only does Paul do that, but he also is able to adjust to his circumstances. Look at verse 13 for just a second. It said in verse 12, the gospel is is advancing. So it has become known, has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Do you hear any self-pity in that verse? Do you hear any, any sense of doubting God? 
Is there, is there any idea here that Paul is worried or concerned about whether God has maybe stepped off his throne for a minute and is no longer in charge? No. Paul says, because of my imprisonment, everybody around here knows that I'm in change for Christ. All Paul is saying is, you know what? I've had a slight modification in my job title. I am now a prisoner for Christ. I have been Paul the evangelist, Paul the apostle, Paul the church planner, Paul the witness, but regardless of my circumstances, everything I do is for the Lord Jesus. And now my title just happens to be prisoner for Christ. And so I'm going to spend my day as a prisoner for Christ. I'm going to adjust to my circumstances. So now my congregation is no longer the local churches where I go and seek to plant churches, but now my congregation is made up of soldiers and it's made up of of political leaders. If you go to chapter 4, verse 22, I'm just going to read this for you quickly because it says in in this verse, so it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Those are the soldiers. And to all the rest. Now, here's who all the rest are, okay? The people that are around Paul. Paul, in his last words to the Philippians, says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. God had restricted Paul's movements. Paul was no longer free to go to and fro to share the gospel because he had a congregation right at his fingertips. Those soldiers that came in and guarded him day in and day out needed to hear the gospel. The people who had had heard about Paul and heard about his reputation and simply out of curiosity, maybe even morbid curiosity, had come to visit this man who was in change for somebody called Jesus. And there was Paul sharing the gospel. He adjusted to his circumstances. Today, this morning, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor for Jesus. But what happens if I get sick next year? Would I be willing to be a cancer patient for Jesus? Today, maybe this morning, you're a businessman or a businesswoman, and things in your your work are going extraordinarily well. But maybe a year or two from now, you might have to be a survivor of bankruptcy for Jesus. Would we be willing to adjust to our circumstances? Maybe today, You're a high school student, but you don't do real well on your SAT. And maybe by this time next year, you are a McDonald's employee for Jesus. Are you willing to do that? Or do our circumstances dictate our relationship with God? Paul says, I find myself in Rome. I find myself under house arrest. So that's where I'm going to serve. Again, if Green Tree is going to have an impact on the world, it's going to be because our circumstances don't dictate who we are in Christ. Uh, J.A. Motyer, who's a, who's a great theologian, wrote this paragraph about, about these verses and Paul's attitude. He says this, speaking of Paul, he did not see his suffering as an act of divine forgetfulness. Why did God let this happen to me? Or as a dismissal from service, I was looking forward to years uh, of usefulness and look at me now. Nor did he see it as the work of Satan. I'm afraid the devil has won this time. But as the place of duty, the setting for service, the task appointed. When the soldier came on duty to guard Paul, did the apostle smile secretly and say to himself, but he doesn't know that I am here to guard him for Christ. The great ambassador is no longer free to range all over land and sea with the good news, but he has not ceased to be an ambassador. The form of his ambassadorship has changed, but not its purpose and duty. He is an ambassador in chains. Friends, are we willing to set aside our circumstances and put our faith completely and totally in Christ and follow him wherever he might lead us 
as a congregation or as individuals. One other thought in, uh, in verse 16. Paul says, uh, everybody around me has heard uh, about the gospel. The gospel is advancing. And then in verse, excuse me, verse 14, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul has this uh, contagious confidence. Uh, his confidence in the gospel, his assurance in the gospel is, is having its impact on the people around him. He's talking about the Christians in Rome when he says the brothers have become more confident in the Lord. They're much more bold now to speak the word. Think about this for a minute. Who gains assurance by a guy going to jail? Paul says, because of my imprisonment, they're more confident to share the gospel. It seems that the opposite would be true. Because if Paul's been sharing the gospel, if he's been preaching the word, and he goes to jail, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and I share the word, I might go to jail. Who, who puts those two things together and goes, hip, hip, hooray, isn't this the greatest deal you've ever had in your life? We might all end up in prison. How cool is that? And yet Paul is saying that's exactly what happened. How is that possible? How can you look at somebody who's been restricted and from a human perspective has lost almost all of their influence and become impassioned and empowered yourself to go out and talk about Jesus? Maybe it's something along the lines of, well, if Paul can share from prison, then what could I do out here? Perhaps it was now that the God's placed Paul in that spot, he needs somebody else to go and be the next church planter. Now that Paul is, is in jail, I need to get busy and I need to care for the people within my local congregation. But when Paul saw his identity in Christ as a prisoner for the Lord, for that congregation, that influenced people around him to the extent that they said, okay, now I'm going to get busy about the work of the kingdom. Do other Christians get you excited? <laughs> when you see brothers and sisters in the Lord getting ready to... to do some amazing things in Christ? You see people faithfully following him? Does that offer some kind of insight into your own life? It certainly, it certainly should. I was reading recently again about Hudson Taylor, the, the great missionary to China uh, in the 1800s. And Hudson Taylor served in China for 51 years. During those 51 years, uh, and Hudson Taylor, by the way, was the first missionary that figured out you don't bring your culture to the culture in which you're serving, you, you adapt theirs and you minister to them in their culture. You don't try to force yours upon them. And so when he went into the, into the mainland of China, he took on the culture of the Chinese. And in 51 years, he was able to convince over 800 other people to come join him on that mission field. They began 125 different schools in all 18 provinces of China that directly resulted in over 18,000 children coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. They established more than 300 places to do ministry, and they recruited over 500 local volunteers who had come to Christ all before his death at the age of 73. Hudson Taylor had that contagious uh, confidence. And so we're going to go into this culture. We're going to make an impact for Christ. Does Green Tree have that kind of perspective? Are we reassured and confident in Christ? Do we, do we have a desire to seek the lost? How did Paul have this attitude? 
I mean, it's great to, to look at Paul's life and say, wow, look at how great he was in prison. Or look at Hudson Taylor and say, you know, boy, wasn't Hudson Taylor an awesome person to, to travel around the Horn of Africa, to go to China, to serve all those people? But what was the motivation? What was the spark? Because that's what we need. We need to know what motivated them in order for us to embrace that ourselves. And if you look at these three verses carefully, Paul calls himself a prisoner for Christ. He says, the brothers are being confident in the Lord. They're bold to speak the word. Paul brings it all back to the Lord Jesus. He brings it all back to the cross. And he says, friends, we're, we're changing our, our circumstances. Our circumstances are changing, but that doesn't matter to us. The gospel is moving forward. This is not about me. This is about what Jesus wants to do. And they were able to understand that they had a perspective on life to put Christ at the center and not themselves. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 3. I'm just going to read these verses for you quickly. You don't even need to turn there. Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, Christ the righteousness that is from God that depends upon faith, in order that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. For Paul, it was all about Jesus. And he understood that, that in losing all of these things, he was actually winning. Paul understood that the loss of self-concern meant that he had won a heart for people, that his loss of freedom meant that he would win new converts to Christ, that the loss of worldly priorities, priorities would win him that eternal point of view, that the loss of his personal strength had won him the power of God. Friends, that's the secret. That's the key to anything that happens in our lives that comes out for the good of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's when we understand that losing actually becomes winning. I had a friend uh, ask me a question a week or so ago. It was a great question, one of the, really one of the best questions I've heard in a long, long time. He said, Tom, are you um, influenced by Jesus or are you defined by Jesus? That was a really good question. You know, a lot of the world is influenced by Jesus. There are plenty of people who think Jesus was a great teacher. There are plenty of people who will say, you know, love your neighbors yourself. That's, that's, that's a wonderful thing to do. I want to I live under that influence but to be defined by Jesus Christ, to have his identity. So that in a place like this, I could say the gospel's advancing. My job title's changed, but it's all the same because the kingdom of God is what matters. Friends, regardless of what we do as a congregation, may that be the cry of our hearts. Let's pray.